Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Sam Stein. <laughs> no, I'm Sam Stein. That's Paige Lavender. That's Jason Cherkis. And we're welcoming you to season two candidate confession so it turns out that if you produce a podcast about political loss june 2016 is a bad time to go off the air which is when we left you i mean the probably the worst time in history yes for a podcast devoted to losers i mean who would have thought that Brexit was going to happen? Never saw it coming. Or that Hillary Clinton was going to lose. Definitely didn't see that one coming. But the good news is, is that if you produce a podcast about defeated politicians, well, 2016 yielded a bountiful harvest. That's why we are so excited to be back for season two of Candidate Confession, the podcast where the politically vanquished bear their souls. This season, we are going to sit down with some of the biggest losers, and we mean that in the best of ways, not just of 2016, though, but of campaigns past. For our first show, we want to take you guys back to a more innocent time. It's the spring of 2015. The Donald Trump candidacy is still the stuff of wild speculation. And word on the street is that a certain self-identified socialist from Vermont is gearing up for a long-shot presidential campaign. So I think we knew pretty early on, as there were rumblings about the senator potentially running for president, that he was someone who we wanted to work for. He was a good fit for the firm. That is Tim Tagaris. At the time, Tim was working at Revolution Messaging, a progressive political marketing and fundraising firm, when he got word that Senator Bernie Sanders was thinking of running for president. So what did they they approach you and say, hey, we want to like hire you guys? We, We approached them and said that if he decides to run, this is a campaign that we want to be a part of. Evidently, their proposal piqued Bernie's interest because pretty soon they had scheduled a meeting and Tim and Sanders were now face to face. We told him that he had the potential to raise a tremendous amount of money online. And when we first met with him at the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, he asked how much money we thought he could raise if he ran. And I said, if you run a competitive race, that you could probably raise somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to $50 million online. I think <laughs> well, Michael Whitney had the I same. I lowballed it. I said, <laughs> I said like 15 to 20. And then he corrected me and said, uh, uh, Tim, how about a credible race? <laughs> and I said, well, that'd be somewhere. Uh, in the neighborhood of $30 million. And, you know, the, and the conversation went well. We talked about tools. We talked about technology. Wait, we talk- wait a second. How much did you end up raising? $218 million. So today we sit down with the team 
or at least part of the team, that turned a Charisma Challenge 73-year-old Vermont socialist into the single most successful grassroots fundraising machine of all time. Wait, you said Charisma Challenge? He could charm. Remember that moment with the bird? He charmed that <laughs> we'll bird. We'll get into the bird, wonderful. too. Bernie became a money magnet, powerful enough to outraise Hillary Clinton in online donations, despite an average donation of... Oh, yeah, $27. Everyone fucking knows that. <laughs> He's trying to send in every speech. Fine, $27. But as we learned in this interview, it wasn't $27. It was $26.98. Welcome to season two of Candidate Confession. So we sat down with three members of Bernie's online fundraising team at Revolution Messaging. Tim Tagaris, whom you just met, but also Robin Kern. I'm Robin Kern, and I work at Revolution Messaging. And Michael Whitney. Uh, I'm Michael Whitney. I was the digital fundraising manager for Bernie's campaign. And they told us about the day their involvement in the Bernie campaign became official. They didn't get a lot of advance notice. As Bernie was gearing up to announce his candidacy, Revolution Messaging got a call from Tad Devine, the senator's chief strategist. Saying that, okay, the senator's going to do this and he's going to do it in three days. And we were like, uh, well, that really just isn't enough time to get everything up and running. And he said, well, that's how much time you have. Did you guys already, when you guys first met with Bernie, have a sense of like what the message was going to be? Well, Bernie's message hasn't really changed in, you know, the 40 40 years. (laughs) So we had a pretty good idea of what we were going to be talking about, a, a rigged economy held in place by a corrupt campaign finance system still from memory. you can you can <laughs> memorize yeah. that it's pretty easy um when you saw him uh his initial uh announcement which i would say was uh probably an unconventional uh way to announce your presidency for those who uh, don't know he went outside the senate okay thank you all very very much whoa, for uh being out here today, let me uh, just make a brief comment. And, and held what well, looked like a press conference. <laughs> and they went back in and voted. It wasn't even very well attended. It was, it was attended by the press corps pretty much. And that was it. When you saw that, um, what was your expectations about how this would uh, take off? I mean, I'm assuming most people thought in that moment, well, this might not be as dynamic as we hoped. I mean, it was definitely a very brisk press conference. <laughs> I was like, hey, I'm running for president. See ya. I've got to get back to the Senate. Um, but his message that day was the same it was throughout the whole campaign that, you know, we need to make government once again responsive to yeah, the But you guys people. are there and to we, try to encourage, we, you know, all this um, – you're trying to get all this energy bottled up and channeled to emails and signups and all this stuff. And he goes out and he makes a midday statement outside the Senate. <laughs> but I mean, here's the thing. When, when – Everyone was seeing that small press conference outside of the Senate. What we were seeing were ridiculous numbers in online participation. Really? So, $1 million in the first 24 hours. That was what was so remarkable to me was that you have this press conference that gets mocked on TV. I remember like John Stewart made fun of it all, all night that night on Daily Show. And then as that's going on, there's all the people putting in money. You guys raised a million dollars that day, and it was real. Yeah, what was your what was the communal team reaction when you started seeing when you started seeing a million dollars come in? My first reaction is that my fifteen million prediction was <laughs> I was already out of the pool, right? Like, Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign announced that it raised over one point five million dollars in the twenty four hours after he announced his bid. That's more than any GOP candidate in their first day. Thirty five thousand people made donations, and you know what the average contribution was? Forty three dollars. 
a lot of operatives that I know of will like wait a lifetime to get on a race that takes off like a rocket ship, right? Did you think that you had hit the professional jackpot? Well, we had a long way to go. <laughs> yeah, just, because yeah. we had raised, <laughs> just because we had raised a million dollars on the first day, there was still – we knew at that moment that there was an extraordinary amount of enthusiasm for the senator's campaign. But we were obviously immense underdogs in the primary. And I think the day after you guys had a meeting and you asked to double down on digital advertising or solicitations. And like what was that meeting like and how and how did it go? And I think Bernie instantly was like, let's do this. Well, I think the first thing to note is that – so we sent the email on the first day and we sent an email on the second day. Uh, the first was to sign up in support of the campaign. The second one was for people to donate and – when we proposed another email to people who had already donated within the first day, essentially Bernie was really kind of appalled at the concept of asking people again <laughs> after they had already donated. He was like, there's no way we're going to do this. Like I, he, he wants to have respect for them. And, and, and so, yes, from the outset, we were, we were looking at that success. And also he was thinking about the way that he treats his supporters differently from the beginning. And that really set the tone for how we, how we built a relationship between Bernie supporters and him in that online space. You bring up a good point about just Bernie's sort of own internal ethics, sort of moral compass. A lot of these, uh, these, you know, when you get these emails from these campaigns, it's like, hey, it, it, they inundate you. And I'm wondering, what were the sort of parameters or sort of ethics that sort of came down from him and others about like what you could do and, you know, how much of a hard sell could you make or how much could you spam someone's e- inbox? I mean, I think the bottom line to our entire email program is that we always treated the supporters with respect. We never tried to scam them out of their money by doing final notice <laughs> emails <laughs> like you see uh, some others doing. Um, it was always D triple C. Happy to say it. <laughs> we were always um, tying the asks directly back to the campaign message, which was largely around getting big money out of politics. So I feel like that gave um, the fundraising program direct alignment with the campaign message. Fine, but there must have been some friction there, right? Like you know you're sitting on a, you know, cash cow and the man's moral compass is saying, "Do not spam these people." The important thing that that we <laughs> have to be <laughs> honest about this, you must have had some friction. Not not really uh, up until Liar. No, no, no. Here's the thing, like <laughs> when you're building a list, there are two ways to go, right? Sure. Like you can like if you get these names, you can choose to just burn it to the ground and say fuck it, like we can there's an infinite pool to replenish from. The other thing is to look at them as a, a to look at it as a relationship and not a transaction. And what about I mean the for me I guess it was the debate that or the debates that seemed to really bring out a lot of the uh, donor, donors and activists. Um, the, the obviously the famous moment uh, was when the topic of emails came up. Let me say something that may not be great politics, and that is that the American people are sick and tired of hearing about your damn emails. Thank you. Me too. Me too. <laughs> you know? From a campaign perspective, as you're watching that, you know there's two mindsets. I guess one is that he didn't go for the juggernaut, um, which <laughs> You know, we can debate that in retrospect, but I'm assuming the jugular, the, the jugular. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> the, jugger, the juggernaut. <laughs> we'll edit that one out. Uh, but from from no, a, we won't. from a from a fundraising <laughs> perspective, I, I think it, it ended up pretty good for you guys. It sure did. Actually, that debate night was the first debate in Vegas. Tim was there. 
Um, I'm shocked Tim went to the Vegas debate. Oh, he was already there and then stayed like an extra week <laughs> for the debate. It was the day that the Cubs beat the St. Louis Cardinals in the first round of the playoffs okay. as well. Worth noting. They did not had the game on in the oh, war room. There was a fight over it. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> Tim lost. No, lost. Tim didn't lose. Tim got to watch the final out. <laughs> and Michael, what did you see in that statement that you thought would make like a favorable fundraising pitch? I honestly do not remember. I just know that we had settled on something where it was, it was just like, yeah, it was, it was about healthcare. healthcare. And it was fine, right? Like we knew we wanted to do a mid-debate email. We had like a fine moment. But then this comes out and it's like, oh, shit. And the okay. internet kind of exploded when it happened. And so we just changed it. And there was like – What was but, the spin on it though? I mean – he said damn emails or it something. It was the moment of the debate. Yeah, and, it was literally the know. topper was this was the moment of the debate that we already had. And this is a campaign about the issues, issue X, Y, and Z. And, and and he had not prepared to say that. So this was all a surprise for the staff. Right, 100%. Right. So at least as far as we know. I mean, we weren't in debate prep or anything. But Were you mad at him for our branding that, that issue of emails so quickly in the campaign? No. Just kidding. What? <laughs> yeah, so so what, how, how, did, how did the email do? Well, well, that was the email did fine, but the, the that was also the first night I think we went up with uh, donate splash, and that was where a lot of it came in as well was through people going to the site and then donating on the splash. Essentially, page. we turned the home page into a contribute page, yep. and while people were watching the debate, you may recall, but probably not recall, that Bernie said the URL at the end of the debate and asked people to go to berniesanders.com, and I think over the course of that night and like the six hours or something before and after the debate, it was like one point two million dollars that we raised. By that point, how'd you hit your 15 million prediction? (laughs) (laughs) Bernie Sanders broke fundraising records during this debate last night. His camp reported a big boost in fundraising, more than $1.3 million in the first four hours following the start of the debate. Bernie Sanders has picked up about $26 million, outpacing President Obama's 2008 campaign. But even more surprising than the amount of money that Bernie Sanders has raised in a short period of time is the number of people who gave him that money. He is the first to reach one million online donations. So, is Clinton worried? Look, you know, uh, this is going to be competitive. It should be competitive. You focus more on beating Donald Trump right now, or are you focusing on beating Hillary Clinton? Well, I look forward to beating Donald Trump. Yeah. I would enjoy that race very, very much. (laughs) Throughout the rest of 2015, the Sanders campaign kept gaining momentum. In the last quarter, he raised $33 million, barely less than Hillary Clinton's $37 million. After the break, the rubber of Revolution Messaging's online fundraising strategy meets the electoral road in the Iowa caucuses. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the show. So as the Democratic debates continue and what little interest there ever was in Lincoln Chafee or Jim Webb, both candidates of Jason's dreams. There was a lot. Yes, I, I, I stuffed envelopes. Or up. even Marvin O'Malley. As that, as that interest dissipated, it became more and more clear that the Democratic primary was going to be Clinton versus Sanders. And that's where things stood on the night of February 1st, the Iowa caucuses. We were in the, we were in the war room with staff and we were all watching on the television. The results from the first caucus sites that came in were favoring Hillary Clinton. But as the night went on, Bernie closed the margin, closed the margin, closed the margin. We were all getting more and more excited. They kept delaying the departure of the charter plane to New Hampshire by half an hour, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And then there was a moment where the screen on MSNBC, it shows that it's 50-50. This is the story at this hour. 50-50, 6.33 to 6.28. The most important verbiage on that graphic is in the upper left-hand corner. Too close to call with 90% in at 11 o'clock, three hours after doors close. So this this is stunning. And we do, again... And the whole staff is banging on tables and cheering. <laughs> and we thought we had a chance to win. And that what, night, what time of night is this? Yeah, it had to be like 10 o'clock, 10.30. 10. Yeah. yeah. And the whole night they're delaying the departure of the charter. We're waiting to send out our email because we knew that this was going to be an extraordinary fundraising opportunity for us. Finally, we're walking out to go to the plane. Robin is literally walking with her computer in her hand, hitting, <laughs> you know, hitting buttons to send out the email to people on the list. The email goes out full. We're on the charter. Uh, we have something set up through ActBlue where there's a, like a, we can make a coin sound every time somebody contributes to the campaign. And the whole staff is gathered around us on the plane as we're just listening to all this money coming in. People across the country who are giving inspired by the virtual tie that we pulled off in Iowa. Uh, what were you nervous that you your internet was going to kick out? I mean, <laughs> I mean, wouldn't that really have sucked? You're walking to the plane and suddenly you lose. Whether she loses the battery power. Yeah, done. exactly. I mean, either. No, sure, does this stuff like <laughs> does this happen where you like little minor things completely upend every well laid plan? I mean, the most important thing was getting the email out, and then the second most important thing was trying to get on the charter with everybody else <laughs> to get out of Iowa and into New Hampshire. Because remember, there was also like a snowstorm coming. Yeah. So yes. if people didn't get out that night, you were probably going to get delayed. And so. we, during the day, Tim had we had we only wrote the drafts day of. Yeah. Well, of win, several drafts. Several. Right? Yeah. We are, wrote a win, a loss. wrote loss, and then Tim's like, "I'm going to write a tie one." And I was like, "That's insane! Why would you write a tie?" <laughs> <laughs> and that's the version that went out because yeah. we tied in Iowa. What's your strategy on running well, a, lost, a Taiwan? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a coin any, flip. Better you know? than anybody expected. You know, we we defied all the odds. No one would have thought that this would. Could you guys happen. feel? So after Iowa, could you feel yourself being more and more emotionally invested in the campaign and in the candidate? Yeah, and we tweeted too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did not. Were you I tweeting some like very emo shit at like three in the morning. Like I really love this man. Seriously, though, I mean, I mean, that must have course, been incredible. What, like when electric. you're when you are working towards something that is just inspiring. So many people across the country and for a candidate that you believe in and defying any and all expectations for your result, it is impossible not to get entirely wrapped up in what you're doing. After Iowa, you now realize that your next four or five months at least are going to be wrapped up in that campaign. So how do you adjust to something like that? 
Well, Tim actually kept saying that it was going to be wrapped up by the middle of March. <laughs> it's, important, it's important to never hope. Many it's important. Thank you, Robin. It's, it is important. <laughs> never hope. Never tweet. Never hope. But we did. I mean, I never expected the campaign to go on as long as it did. Was New Hampshire the greatest of I mean, all the No, it was no. so stressful. I cannot tell really? you. What? I think my favorite part was when we got – we took the charter from Iowa to New Hampshire. Oh, that part, Then you yeah. landed in – was it Manchester? And then when we got to the hotel, there was there was a parking lot rally outside a Chinese restaurant five across in the, morning, the street from the in hotel. The freezing cold, at, and there were hundreds of people. Yeah, five a.m. in the morning, hundreds of people turned out. Thank you so much. As you know, we just got in from Iowa, where we astounded the world. Bernie gave a quick speech in the back of a pickup truck with another car's headlight shining on him um, and just, you know, said, let's keep it going. And now in the Hampshire, we're going to astound the world again. And then went into the hotel and I think we got an email out that morning at like 7 a.m. without yeah, sleeping. Yeah, you and I stayed up in the Hampton Inn breakfast area. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was... With a coin flip. I mean, there were just so there are just so many wonderful mo- the moment in the moment in Iowa in the war room when it was fifty fifty was probably my single favorite moment on the campaign. Not the New Hampshire win. I mean, you guys just the, the problem, the problem yeah. with the New Hampshire win was that, and so we kind of knew that we were going to win, and also uh, so we had like a victory draft lined up. We of course wrote a loss draft just in case and a tie. Um, <laughs> learned that lesson. Um, 24 hours from polls open until the next day or 30 hours, we raised seven million dollars. But we didn't see that full seven million until the morning. Um, and so, like, we knew we were raising money, and also it was so stressful to not know how much. <laughs> It did seem like there was a lot riding on you guys because he wasn't doing the traditional fundraising. I think it, he had no he had no fundraiser. I mean, nine. He had nine events, but he had no fundraising staff. So there's a lot of pressure on you guys to keep performing. Did you guys feel that pressure from the campaign? No, I don't think we felt pressure. I think that we had the Lies. space. I don't like Sorry. we had already we, we had already exceeded any and all expectations yeah, yeah. and there we had a tremendous amount of space to succeed and we ran but, our but, program and there was never any like there was yeah, never but any if you pressure. fail your job everything falls apart. But we were doing phenomenal and there was really nothing <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing it was not on us, right? Like what what we essentially did was set up a a doorway for people to go through to get to Bernie. And like our job was to make that as appealing as possible. Like we could have stepped away as staff and money still would have been coming in and supporters would have been organizing in a significant way. That doorway to Bernie that Revolution Messaging had created was proving way more successful than anyone had anticipated. But in the early primaries, it wasn't exactly clear whether it was going to be enough. After New Hampshire, Sanders had disappointing results in Nevada and South Carolina. And on Super Tuesday, March 1st, he pulled off wins in a few states, but Clinton won a lot more. A few days later, Sanders wins in Kansas, Nebraska, and Maine, and it looks like maybe he's regained momentum. And then comes Michigan. In the run-up to that March 8th primary, every single major poll showed Clinton winning the state by comfortable margins. Now, as we know, the Rust Belt proved... A little bit unpredictable in 2016. And to the shock of all, Bernie pulled off a victory that 538 called one of the greatest upsets in modern political history. Michigan was so, so insane. 
because you know every, we sat in the room together and had the projections on, and I had the. I was always struggling to find the New York Times thing where they project the results. <laughs> and the backstory here is that everyone in every poll had her crushing you guys. And all of the talking heads were talking about how she was going to pivot that night to the general election. She was going to come out and give her message for taking on Republicans. And uh, you're just going to have to hold on. You, and she blew it. A little while know. on that. <laughs> and then the busload of Minnesotans came across the border oh, and voted for her. Wisconsin, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we knew we were going to Yeah, we did. But yeah, Michigan was an amazing night. And then um, – and then they they flew down and had the makeshift press conference, I believe. Yeah, with, and, the, with the sign uh, in the like the sauna, the or sauna in, of the, in the hotel, yeah. yeah, in yeah. Miami. Oh, the Clinton people. No, no, Bernie. no, no, Bernie. Oh, Bernie. Bernie. Oh, yeah, he, left, he left without giving a victory speech because you know we no, one, <laughs> no one thought we were going to win, so just went to Miami for the March fifteenth states. But the fifteenth was that was that, was, that was probably the hardest night of the entire campaign. Tell us about the fifteenth. Oh, it was Robin's birthday. It was my birthday. <laughs> Uh, well, then why did you tell us about it? Yeah. <laughs> um, it was rough. It was, I mean, we kept holding out thinking maybe he would take Illinois. That one was lost by like two percentage points. And then Missouri was lost by like two tenths of a percentage point. Uh, so it was definitely a tough break. And I think that was also the night where we were watching the Clinton campaign saying don't stop believing uh, in their campaign office. Yeah, and, it was, uh, <laughs> it was late. We, I mean we had talked yeah. about potentially that we would hopefully be able to carry three states that night, Illinois, Missouri, and potentially Ohio I believe yeah. was the third. And we lost uh, North Carolina, Florida really quick. Uh, then Ohio fell. We were hoping for Illinois. came up about 15,000 votes short there. And then they got Missouri by like 2,000 votes and that was called at like 1230 at night and – Next thing you know, on Facebook, we see all of our friends on the Clinton campaign and on Twitter posting videos of themselves singing songs and I believe that we will win. And it was just – it was – it, it was demoralizing. It was. It was, it was, it was tough rough. to come back from that. You know, It was like we came away with Rhode Island on April 15th, which is like, all right, great. We didn't get sweeped. We're not going <laughs> to – we're not going to sweep – we're not going to see sweeping gifts all over Twitter. It's fine. Um, but yeah, we were hoping for one on the 15th. So – my question is that as it becomes clear that this magical run won't happen um, and that you're not going to be the nominee, you guys still have the job of trying to get money from people to help fundraise uh, for a campaign. And there's obviously a tension there for a guy who was worried about spamming people to begin with. How do you go about telling people to donate to a campaign that even internally you're not so confident you're going to win? Well – to be clear, we were doing that in the very beginning when we weren't so confident that we were going yeah, to Yeah, but you at least had a chance. Time on our yeah, side. Time yeah, time and contest to go through. <laughs> the math. Yeah, the math. <laughs> yeah, the math started turning. And does it become hard as fundraisers and especially people looking for small donations from people who don't have a lot of money to ask them for money when you, you yourself know that it might not work out, probably won't work out? So March was our best online fundraising month of the entire campaign. We raised, I think, about $43 million online in the month of March. And people wanted Bernie to keep fighting, right? They wanted him to keep going. They wanted him to carry his message to all the states and territories and caucuses and primaries that were left to happen. So, um, I, you know, we raised money effectively through March. And then we kind of made a decision later on in the campaign to put the brakes on the fund. I mean, we could have raised a lot more money than we actually raised, but the tension that you discussed existed and was serious and we raised a little bit less money than we could have because of it. Were there discussions about that? Or did you feel weird about collecting all this money at the end of March, into April? 
Definitely not the end of March. Yeah, not in March. Okay, but April? I mean, maybe after New York, right? Yeah. And that eight, New York was tough. Yeah. New York was tough. New York was – I mean, even after even after March 15th, there were a lot of – I mean, Bernie went on a real run after that. He swept like Washington. You know, they, these were over, overwhelming victories in some of these states. And, you know, there was, there was maybe a little – I mean, certainly the math was not on our side, but it wasn't, you know. Yeah, you're right. There were arguments of like if he had – you know, done well in New York or won New York, then he'd have more justification. But he did when he lost New York. That was. A, and what are those? Con- I mean, who's the who's on each side of those conversations saying, "Listen, we gotta hit the brakes." Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, a lot of people were involved in those conversations, and there were a lot of thoughts on both sides. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Sam. Tim's gonna talk without saying anything. Yeah, That's right. <laughs> does somebody else want to talk? Does somebody else want to talk? <laughs> Not really. I mean, it, you know, it was it was a point of discussion, and also it's worth noting that there was still an incredible amount of self organizing happening in states that had yet to vote, and there was an incredible amount of. Uh, organic donations coming in and you can see you know there's a consistent level between organic donations and and what that projects to for what you can raise elsewhere and it was still incredibly significant is there an ethical issue i mean you guys talked in the beginning about sort of treating the the voters the bernie supporters with an amount of respect and sort of keeping not sort of squeezing them dry early on and sort of um, to not having sort of shitty emails that sort of sleight of hand stuff. I mean, what are the ethics involved? So in every single vote that Bernie earned, every single delegate that Bernie received was a declaration of support and affirmation for the values that the senator espoused on the campaign trail. And every delegate that we won meant something. It was part of a conversation about the issues that are driving the Democratic Party and the issues that the American people care about. So we fought for every delegate and that meant that we had to continue to raise money. So, and we were very clear that that – We were very clear on what the – like if you look back at the emails that we sent and the messages within them, they shifted from let's go out and win this thing and win the nomination and beat Trump to every single delegate, every single vote. Matters. Definitely around late April that you know it might not have been obvious to a ton of people. But we made a very deliberate shift where it became delegate math at the end. All right, let's talk about it. I got to talk about the bird. Bernie Sanders had a chance encounter on the campaign trail yesterday that's getting a lot of attention. He's speaking in Portland, I believe. <clears throat> yes. yes. This little bird doesn't know it. A bird landed on his podium while he was speaking. Oh my- So who Land put the bird seed on the lectern? Yeah, who, yeah. <laughs> who About 40% of the overall fundraising went to bird training. <laughs> <laughs> I know it doesn't look like it, but that bird is really a dove asking us for world peace. No more wars. Honestly, what the hell was that? It, who was watching it? What did you guys think in real time? And why did you turn that into a fundraiser? I don't think we – I didn't see it in real time. No, I didn't either. Well, I saw it on Twitter. We saw the, saw the internet. internet. Yeah. 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 Saw on- the internet and the internet obviously went crazy and we were <laughs> – we were always commu- – there were gifts and it was just a wonderful thing. And, and just- actually the next day we were we were working in my apartment and um, while we were there, a bird ran into the window. <laughs> and I think, I think you, tweeted bird? It, you, yeah, you tweeted at me, Sam, was like, what the hell is it with you guys and birds? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, we, I mean we saw it. Uh, we saw the gifts. We saw the reaction and I remember slacking. It's like, hey, it would be great if we did some merchandise on it. And then we kind of just dropped it for like 12 hours. We didn't get the sticker design done that same day. No. 
we the, waited we were out, like we were out, six hours. No, yeah, we were out the next day, I think, and it happened to be our single most successful fundraising email. We, uh, was it a fundraising email or the merchandise? That was it, was, it said, make a contribution of any amount and we will send you a Bertie Sanders sticker. And that email, that single email, <laughs> ended up raising, uh, uh, I got it here, $1,145,000, just a single email. That the single email. Bird. We tested a lot of different content versions for that email, Five too. Five different content versions. Yeah. <laughs> What were the uh, different versions that didn't make the cut? There were a couple. I mean, there were two that were just like big header text, a picture of the sticker, like and limited a button. time was the yeah that was, was that? the winner. A limited just, time, offer. just that we were only going to offer the birdie sticker for like you know just a short amount of time. God, because you got to get your birdie sticker now. <laughs> uh, a lot people of people got them. their birdie stickers. Yeah, three hundred thousand stickers yeah. or something like that. Whatever it, it I, raised. No, yeah, it was overall the campaign in seven days raised three point seven million dollars from a, that bird. Okay. It was also right <laughs> before end of quarter for March, so I think that we tied it into that as well. So. The other, the other thing I want to ask you about is the twenty-seven dollar uh, average donation. Bernie Sanders has raised so much money from a small grassroots donation, and his average contributions are famously uh, twenty-seven dollars. It's the average donation given to Bernie Sanders. Averaging twenty-seven it actually was $27. No, no, it no, was. No. Did you did you it was over 27.5 and did you round down? No, it was under 27 and we rounded up. It's 26.98. Yeah, something Why did you guys say 26.98? I mean, so that, actually that, during that's... during before <laughs> the $27 thing, this is an interesting thing about how the $27 came to be because we were testing for a while in emails that was like hey, this is the average contribution this week and it'd be like 23.45, right? Um, and we would put it as an amount that you could donate in the emails. We would put it on the on the landing page that was, you know, whatever the actual seven day rolling average was. Um, and you know, over time, Bernie would call Kenneth Pennington and say, "What's the average contribution now? What's the average contribution now?" And at one point, it was like twenty seven dollars for about two or three weeks, and then it just stayed there. And Bernie kept on talking about 27, and then it stayed at 27. And, and we just got had so many individual yeah. contributions that it becomes impossible to move off the number. Yeah, because right? there's like 27 truthers out there. There are people who just did not believe. Yeah, Philip Bump. Yeah, Philip Bump just <laughs> does a 27 truther. <laughs> and it, but it was 27. It was 27. $27. No, it was 26.95. Fine. At the end of the campaign. All right, fine, fair enough. In the in the mix of the campaign, it was 27. So it sounded from that that Bernie kind of understood. This stuff, like, or he was kind of into it, but you know, people look at Bernie. He's—I gotta say—he doesn't seem like the most internet savvy person of all time, and maybe you know didn't understand grassroots internet fundraising that well. But did he? Well, he understood that his campaign was being funded by a lot of people chipping in small amounts of money at a time. So I think that's why he was always touting the twenty-seven dollar average at his campaign rallies because he understood that. He wasn't getting the big checks. He was literally funding a campaign from people contributing a little bit. But did he understand like how a bird landing on his shoulder <laughs> no. could be turned <laughs> no, into a game could be turned I don't even know if, he, if you told him about the Bernie Sanders sticker. I'm I don't know. What do you know? <laughs> Maybe. 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 Okay. Um, he didn't it's have to worth get final him to sign off on the bird sticker. <laughs> so not by that point. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. SNL mocked your fundraising message. The other candidates, they're taking millions of dollars from the Koch brothers and ExxonMobil, but not me. I only accept coins. If you believe in Bernie, I need you to go home, open your closet, pull out your vacuum, dump it upside down, and send me all the pennies that fall out of it. That's right. I'm Bernie Sanders. 
and I want your vacuum pennies. <laughs> so didn't we try to do we, something with well, that? Well, we did. We actually the... turned that into a splash page oh, yeah, the next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he was on the week of New Hampshire right before New yeah. Hampshire voted. So we turned. We put a picture of Larry David as Bernie Sanders on the homepage at a podium. We photoshopped podium. Larry David as Bernie Sanders into and a we said the headline on the page was "I want your vacuum pennies." Yep. Did well, anyone send you actual pennies? I, Some I people did to the Burlington me. office. Yeah. I remember oh, yeah. seeing I remember a photo. Oh, yeah, remember there was a bag of coin. Yeah. During the campaign wow. of someone. But like, it was not after this. <laughs> okay. No, but they sent like an envelope of back. So you didn't find this insulting or demeaning? Oh, it's an amazing, no, affir- it's an amazing <laughs> affirmation of what we did. <laughs> <laughs> we turned, like, you know, we knew it was going to happen and we got a heads up he was going to be an SNL. And so Drew McConville put together the donate page, Photoshop Bernie or Photoshop Larry David into the podium. We put a headline up and. Had the buttons on the BernieSanders.com. I mean, that's just a real acknowledgement that the fundraising model just really broke through beyond political circles and into kind of mainstream American thought and comedy. And that's, I think, a beautiful thing. It's too bad they didn't have a person portray you, Tim, on SNL. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been the peak. We interviewed Newt a while back for this. And he had said, I wanted to run my campaign like lean and mean. I just want to do online fundraising and get my message to the people. And he failed at that. He didn't, it didn't happen. And part of it was obviously because Newt and obviously probably maybe because <laughs> his staff, who knows. But like there, it is, I think. Well, Newt case, specifically said if he had run in 2016, he would have done it like burning. Like burning. Yeah. So would you guys, <laughs> guess what we're trying to ask is would you guys join the uh, Newt campaign? He's standing right over there. Selling so, more books, movies? What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> Zoo it's a, trips. It's, it's, a, trips. it's a limited series. No, I guess series. The, is it, what, the question series. is basically could anyone have done what you guys did or was Bernie sort of or that it's more hard or is it is it harder than it looks I mean is that's maybe the wrong way of saying it but like he did have a perfect message and early on you guys sort of married that really well and had a template had a had a had a tone and a message to the to the voters that worked that may not work for everybody I would say that Bernie was the only candidate who could have done that in 2016 and also provides a template for candidates in 2020 and beyond to figure out how to adopt a message that rejects big money in politics, right? One of the most successful things was saying that we don't have a super PAC. We're going to do this on our own. It's that sink or swim message where if you truly have that and it's actually backed up by a reality, people will come to you. Yeah, yeah. I, would li- I would like to say that the amount of money that he raised was due to some amazing job that we did. And I think that we did a fine job. But at the end of the day, it was Bernie's message that carried the day and was responsible for the entirety of the success. All right. Well, how much of it was Bernie's message and how much of it was that you had in a primary opponent, someone who created incredibly stark contrasts? I think it was about Bernie. I don't think that there, I mean, nothing that we really saw. I mean, we never, yeah, I I think that it was almost all about Bernie. Uh, I'd say that Martin O'Malley gave an early assist. Yeah, um, I mean, but that's the point. So, so yeah, Martin O'Malley taxed you guys with a super PAC, right? But that was a. I think that that was a function of the the big money that was attacking us. And Martin O'Malley early on in the campaign, his Generation Forward super PAC ran like ten thousand dollars worth of online ads, attacking Senator Sanders on guns. And for us, that was a perfect opportunity to kind of turn that into a fundraising boon for our campaign because look at this. This is big money trying to blunt our success. This is everything that we said that would happen just a little bit sooner than any of us had ever imagined. 
And I think we raised something like send out an email. One point two in twenty four yeah. hours. So we so, turned his. Te- we parlayed his ten thousand dollars. One million dollars. But I guess I'm trying to get a read of whether you think that this is like paint by numbers or not. Like if someone, if if generic candidate X did everything Bernie did, same message, same structure, same opponents, same system. Would they be as successful, or was Bernie uniquely situated to reap the rewards of this? I think it's the consistency and authenticity of Senator Sanders that made him unique. Well, I do think there's like a one one part, and there was an article in Politico that talked about this: the uniqueness of where so much, some a third of or a good chunk of Bernie's message was also tied into the fundraising. Like For I'm sure. running a anti uh, super PAC campaign, campaign finance, and then that married so well with. Uh, that with what you guys were doing to the point where everyone knows $27 became a huge component, but maybe the most well-known aspect of his campaign. I'd say that Bernie's record and, you know, as we said earlier, 40 years of saying the same thing certainly helped. Cory Booker couldn't try to do this in two years and try to raise a bunch of money online. Cause he's what about Andrew Cuomo, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Okay, so when it was all over and he dropped out and, and he had to like move on from this campaign, I mean, what did you end up thinking, what did you end up understanding about online fundraising that you hadn't understood prior to the campaign? Um, I mean... You're like I knew everything. As long as you give people meaningful opportunities to be involved, then they'll respond. I mean, I think that was what most of the program was built around. And then also just, I mean, that's the main point I would take away. I mean, it requires a real cultural buy-in within a campaign structure to be successful. The online fundraising piece of thing requires investment investment in advertising. It requires uh, investment in time to make sure that Things are going out quickly and you have to be able to stop a campaign manager who's busy doing a million different things and get him to put his eyeballs on the work that you're doing and bless it before it goes out. So it's a financial investment. It's a cultural investment. It touched every single part of the the fundraising operation, touched every single piece of the digital program. You know, we worked hand in hand with uh, Hector Sagala who ran social media, the advertising team that was run by Keegan Gudis and, and Liz Bennett. Uh, the mobile team, uh, Carla Aronson and you know Scott Goodstein was involved. This is the with that. Oscars. Oh my team. god! <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's worth noting too that there were maybe eighteen people involved in the the non organizing digital work, right? Which is like a relatively small number of people. You know, one of the interesting things was uh, around April we started fundraising for other candidates um, and had. You know, the first three raised for Lucy Flores, Zephyr Teachout, and uh, Pramila Jayapal. And then those donors' names get added to those congressional candidates' list. I ended up uh, helping both Lucy and Zephyr with their fundraising. And so you have a whole chunk of Bernie people on that list. And it's remarkable how that same kind of messaging and that same kind of we're in this together thing translates even with different candidates. And at the risk of opening that old wound about continuing to fundraise in April and May, you will see that Bernie sent out a lot of fundraising emails for other candidates up and down the ballot, Senate candidates, congressional candidates, state legislative candidates, when I don't think many people would have done that during the middle of a campaign they were in. I'm wondering about just power because you have this army that you guys pretty much created. I mean, obviously, Bernie was part of this. I mean, he's the campaign, and and you guys sort of created this online. And with that great army comes sort of some responsibility. And I'm wondering if there's lessons to be learned or just for the future campaigns. I mean, what if this was 
for the op, you know, obviously Bernie's some of his motives were obviously noble and some of the things all all that you believed in. But I'm wondering, I just the it's like you could you know tell them to go do whatever and they might do it. I'm wondering if you feel there's some sort of power in that and. If people who are running these campaigns in the future have to bear in mind that some responsibility for for the, for the people and the sort of communities that they're creating, I think that it does require a certain stewardship after a campaign ends, and it's also true that you can't just tell people to do anything and they'll go do it. We saw that a bunch um, where. You know, even if you think that it's in line with what uh, they came into the first place, they're still going to be, you know, their primary motivation for a lot of the core people was how do you get Bernie Sanders the most power possible, right? And if that is not going to be the presidency, then, you know, we saw in October where Paul Ryan said, you know, if you don't uh, elect Republicans, Bernie Sanders will be the chairman of the budget committee. And we turned that around to a fundraising email uh, to Bernie's list in October that was, it just brought life back to the list. And people were like, oh, shit, yeah, let's give Bernie a fucking gavel, <laughs> right? <laughs> and they just – you know, I forget the numbers, but it was millions and millions of dollars. It was several not, million. And none to Bernie, right? It did not – no Bernie – accounts were on those emails. It was just for different congressional candidates. It's interesting though that, that like there was that – did you guys feel any sort of fallout when Bernie endorsed Hillary? You got a lot of people I think – there were Bernie supporters who were really upset at that. They wanted either him to continue or fight it in the convention or or go third party and I'm wondering if that you ever got that feedback or, or from, from the people that you were getting money from or no. I, people complain about everything, right? Yeah, there was but. obviously some disappointment, but the list continued to respond for Bernie when we would send out emails saying that Bernie was appearing at a you know at a rally for Hillary Clinton in Iowa or Ohio or Michigan or wherever it was. People would respond favorably. All right, my last question is this, which is that the 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 message of the Bernie campaign was that you can overcome great odds when you collectively do something. Uh, and you guys were sort of the conduits to that message because your modus operandi was raise a ton of money from small amounts, tons of donors, and maybe you could get by a financial juggernaut. Outraised. Juggernaut. And you can. We outraised Hillary Clinton. We outraised And you did. But you lost. Now, I'm wondering if, you know, because of because you were so, at the forefront of all this and, and it was the message was going through the small do, donor apparatus. Whether that hit you on an emotional level more than a normal campaign would. I, it was certainly more emotional than any campaign I've been a part of. The only – the closest second and it isn't even close in retrospect – oh, it was actually close – is Ned Lamont against Joe Lieberman. So de- definitely, definitely you are extraordinarily invested. Um, I mean you're working just so long and that you – like we are – we're – but it's not just the work I'm getting at, which is that you're trying to create a, a new system in which the work that you're doing specifically replaces an old guard. Yeah, I'd say two things is that we knew at some point in time in the spring that this was not going to be the, the vehicle to directly do that. And also we knew that everything we did was showing the way for people who could do it, if not in 2020, then in 2024. Or hell, the Democratic Party should just get rid of its fucking big money right now and stop taking lobbyist contributions. And you know, even Keith Ellison has a goal of just raising 33 percent of the Democratic Party's fundraising from small dollar donations. Guess what? It was almost 50 uh, percent 
um, in Obama's first year in office, and it's just fallen off to the point where this year was 15 percent. The party has a responsibility now to start looking at the role of big money, and we know that doesn't stop here, and we showed the way, and it's up to I don't people. see a lot of evidence thus far that a lot of organizations or candidates have learned the message that it was – have learned the lesson that it was Bernie's message mm -hmm. that made the fundraising possible. And that would be, I think, all of us agree what we would hope most would come out of this presidential campaign was that people would learn that you don't have to lock yourself in a room calling millionaires and billionaires for money every day and flying across the country endlessly to beg rooms full of rich people for cash, that if you carry an authentic message and uh, put working people first in everything you do, that they will respond and not just fund your work, but also do the work on the ground that it takes to be successful. And I don't see a lot of evidence that you know people have learned that lesson. All right. So, so what's the future of Bernie's list, the fundraising list? He, he still has this massive list of small donors that he used to pull off his campaign. Yeah. Um, but obviously, there's a lot of other Democrats who would like to get their hands on it. I mean, I think the list isn't just some magical vehicle that anyone can tap into. It was directly tied to the message that Bernie carried on the campaign. And without that message, we would not have had the fundraising success that we did. People want the list, but, you know, good luck. It's not going to – you can have it and you're not going to raise off it's it. Like the the hand, it's like the hammer of Thor. Right? You can you can have it, but only a few people can wield it. All right, that was Tim Tagaris, Robin Curran, and Michael Whitney from Revolution Messaging. Candidate Confessional is produced and edited by Zach Young. He's a genius. He's sitting right to my right. He also wrote our theme music. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and spread the word. Talk to your family, your relatives, strangers, anyone on the street. Next week, we sit down with Senator Chris Murphy to discuss his attempt to pass gun control legislation in the wake of the shooting in Newtown, Connecticut. See you then. Tim, you made it. <laughs> you did it, Tim. I you didn't ask if Bernie would have won. I thought for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's oh, yeah. I know your answer. It's what, what, uh, would Bernie have won? Yes. Do you follow Michael Whitney on Twitter? Oh, Michael, you busted out the Bernie stocks. Like, I'll just say it one more time. Bernie would have won. Oh, then you say God. it another time. Thank you. That's why you don't ever tweet. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.